welcome to another episode of that podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And we we took a break over the summer. Um, we're not going to... No real major reasons, so uh, we don't really need to get into any of that. But <laughs> all you need to know is we're back now for season three. Uh, how are you doing, Bo? I'm doing all right. Um, I was looking at our, our last episode and it was talking a bit about SAD. And I don't know if you remember our discussion on the was it seasonal attenuation something disorder. Uh, yep. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I feel like I got hit by that more this year than I had planned on, or not planned on, but expected. I don't feel like I've had actual issues with it before. Um, so I ended up getting some hue lights to try and make things a little better. Um, and I don't know if it was just you know like a placebo effect or whatever, but the um, the nicer hue lights that aren't just dimmable, but um, they, they have the color variety. Um, I think they call them the um, uh, color ambiance. Um, and then they also have the white ambiance, um, which where they have like a huge range of white colors that they can do, um, including um, like if people are used to using things like flux, uh, where it, it uh, changes the color temperature of your monitor at night to make you more sleepy or more prone to sleep. Uh, I think it blocks out the blue light. Um, well, they actually have blue light, <laughs> which which could be kind of cool. So you can have blue light during the day and in the morning, um, especially if you're in an office where you don't have any windows or whatever. Um, but then at nighttime, when it you know, gets after midnight or whatever, you can adjust them to um, kind of match the uh, color temperature of your monitor to sort of get you more in the mood for sleep. Uh, so I, I kind of got a little obsessed with that <laughs> this fall. Um, yeah. Uh, Beck was just looking this morning at the uh, 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 YNAB, which uh, we've been using that more lately. It's uh, you need a budget. Uh, <laughs> she was laughing because there was a an entry for Target, uh, which uh, is kind of like a department store, and uh, she had to put uh, Dragonfly Expense, uh, another lamp, <laughs> because <laughs> I've, I've been uh, just like filling up the basement here with different lamps uh, to try and help with like mental health and just making it seem more. Uh, bright and cheery in my office yeah that sounds good just hang on just let me ask a question sure so I, i'm i've sort of had a little look at this kind of thing but not really ever i'm not get, not going to it yet mm-hmm. but um you said hue lights is that a name I, I, i'm pretty sure the phillips ones are called hue lights is that a phillips sort of brand yep name yep. or is that the generic name for these kind of bulbs and things yeah um phillips brand is hue so it's phillips okay, hue so i just call I, I them hue sure. for short yeah, I wasn't sure if Hue sort of lights was actually the name for this uh, yeah, um, category of lights, if you like. Yeah, I think it's the the home automation. Um, the some of the different standards are kind of competing with each other, and I don't really know much about them. Um, but there's like a, Apple has its HomeKit uh, ecosystem that uh, is somewhat compatible or based on something with with Hue's network uh, because you can use all the uh, the HomeKit stuff with with Hue devices. Um, I, I I didn't really uh, put a lot of thought and effort into it. I just knew that Hue seemed to be the big brand name um, are the ones that I'd seen a lot of. So I just went with that route and uh, didn't do my usual. Uh, obsessive owner over analysis of <laughs> uh, which which is the right thing for me um, I got one of the the starter kits it came with three bulbs um, and a hub 
which is like a little router that communicates everything. Um, and then I just added from there a couple of different things. Most of it's in uh, the basement here for me, but there's a couple of bulbs in other places in the house as well. Um, and and I, have every, I, I have some of the color ones. I have the white balance ones. Um, I also have the, uh, I think it's Bulge Refractor. Um, it's uh, BR30, uh, which is kind of like a... A way to, it's not like a normal bulb that just sort of is like unidirect or omnidirectional. Um, it's actually intended more as like a spotlight, but like a, a wide beam spotlight, um, that you would like put in, in like a ceiling or something. So I have some of those. Uh, you can probably see it, see one of them here that kind of yeah. shoots up. It's, it's not the best placement at all, but you know, it's just the limitations of my office. Um, and then we also have some, um, uh, just normal white light bulbs. I got those with the switches. So you can actually get uh, hardware switches that you can like put on walls um, th- so that you can, uh, you don't have to use an app, uh, which is pretty nice. Um, I've also, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. I've also decided to expand my um, usage of uh, Amazon Echo and, and Alexa. Um, so we're doing a lot. Oh, she's probably going to talk right now because I mentioned her name. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, I've expanded my usage with that. So we're doing a lot. Like the whole family is now doing a lot more of uh, turning on certain lights uh, just by mentioning our, our little voice assistant thing, which can be really handy. Uh, but actually, it, it's, uh, I don't remember if I was talking to you or I sent a tweet or something to somebody that um, using Echo uh, is is really, really fast. It's really super convenient when it works. And it works like 95% of the time, I would guess, if not more. When it doesn't, it takes like 50 times longer to do the thing because the, uh, the, the loop of that, uh, the, the voice assistant having to ask you, Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. What did you mean? And then you have to repeat your command, but without the voice prompt. Um, and half the time I put the voice prompt in again and then it, it still doesn't know what I'm talking about. And by the time you've done that three times, it's taken like, you know, 60 seconds when I could have just pressed the light switch as I walked by it. Um, yeah. so it's, it's really convenient when it works and it's like, wow, this is the future. And then when it doesn't, it's like, why are we even bothering? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it, can, it can be really pretty awful. Yeah, I have the same. I mean, um, when I try and ask Alexa to order the dog food again, like I always order it from Amazon, but it seems like it constantly comes back to me and says, did you want to order this one? Mm. And it's and it tells me, and it's not the one that I want to order. I haven't <laughs> ordered that one before. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and it's just like, oh, why do I bother? I'm not, I don't want to go through this loop. Mm-hmm. Like you say, um, for that reason, I mean, I, I really just want programmable dash buttons. I want to be able to buy a dash button from Amazon mm-hmm. and say, this button does this product, you know. Yeah. Don't, don't, I don't want a branded one. I just want a button. Uh, yeah. You were telling me about that. Like, do you actually have one of those? Because I, I hadn't heard of them before until you mentioned it a little while yeah. ago. Yeah, I have one <clears> for uh, just the one uh, for Listerine mouthwash. Um, mm. We always buy the same one. And you can actually, on Amazon, you can actually get um, a one litre bottle, which even if they put the price up a bit, is still going to be as cost effective as the any offers at the super, local supermarket. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I have it in the cupboard next, well, a cupboard under the sink in the bathroom. And if we're getting lower mouthwash, I just give that a press. Nice. And uh, one day later, a new bottle arrives at the house so uh so where are they marketing that because until you mentioned it i hadn't heard of it um and i and since you mentioned it i haven't seen it marketed to me at all 
Um, I don't really know. I, I um, like I, I wouldn't know about them if you hadn't specifically mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have got one if I didn't get it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say for free, I didn't actually get it for free. Mm. I had to pay. Uh, three or four pounds, I think. But they gave you credit towards the first time you used it. Yeah, so okay. as long as you're going to use it once, mm-hmm. it was free. Um, I think part of the reason is it's limited now to certain brands. And quite a lot of those brands are not necessarily things you'd buy from Amazon because you can get them cheaper in your local food shopping, you know, when you go to the supermarket. Thing. Mm-hmm. Other things like detergents and all these sort of regular buys, but they're all the big brand stuff and not necessarily... So they're the big brands, so they're actually ex- more expensive than the smaller brands and the home brands. Mm-hmm. And then also they're coming from Amazon, so it's usually not 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 that competitive with the supermarkets, I find. Mm. Uh, but yeah, they're kind of cool. I, like I say, if I had one that I could program to be whatever product I like on Amazon... I'd, I'd actually go and buy a few more because there are a few things that I buy from Amazon on a regular basis mm-hmm. uh, that I would use them for, like the Listerine, like the dog food. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've seen a few like uh, a few offers for subscriptions. Um, like Amazon will offer um, uh, the product that you're looking at, and it'll say subscribe and get it for you know fifteen percent off or something like that. And I haven't found anything yet where I've had seen that offer, or I actually need it regular enough, regularly enough, like on a consistent periodic basis that I would yeah. ever subscribe to anything. Um, but the, the on-demand button idea uh, could actually pretty, be pretty useful in some cases and probably more reliable than, you know, working with Echo or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the, I've, I'm the same with the subs- subscribe and save is what we have in the UK on Amazon. Yeah, it's something and like that, yeah. I'm just not consistent enough. Mm-hmm. Um The things, like I say, the, the, the dog food, the mouthwash, mm-hmm. uh, even things like... Uh, toilet paper things like that i i do order them regularly from amazon but not i couldn't tell you how often it's more yeah. like a case of when i'm getting low mm-hmm. i order some more um, yeah so on amazon um one of the things that really annoys me that i, I it, it just boggles my mind that this is a problem for amazon i would say once a month Amazon interrupts my checkout flow for a full page ad, basically saying, did you know that you get Amazon Prime video with your subscription to Amazon Prime? Yeah, I know that. (laughs) I actually watch Amazon Prime video fairly regularly. We rent videos from Amazon Prime and pay them money to watch them. That's uh, if, if we don't rent them from Vudu, we, we rent them from Amazon Prime. It just boggles my mind that Amazon of all places who normally seem to have this sort of thing dialed in interrupts my checkout flow to pitch me something that I'm actively using. <laughs> have you yeah, ever just, gotten those or is it just me? I, it's no, really... not me. I mean, could it be something to do with, do you use like the family thing? So maybe Beck's logged in. And, so no. the, the Amazon, your Amazon Prime viewing is going through Beck's account or something no, like that? No, and that's, that's something that we're looking at doing, um, especially with Alexa, uh, with the Alexa stuff now, um, that we want to uh, consider doing the, the, the Amazon Prime stuff stuff but um everything is hooked up uh, all the technology stuff is hooked up to my account the one that i'm browsing with so it, i i wondered that too at some point like are they just getting confused but yeah i mean it's it's all my Weird. account it's my personal account and it's, it seems yeah. really ridiculous to me 
I'll be honest, I, I I don't I rarely go through the full checkout process. I just do one click ordering most mm. of the time. Although I've been doing it a lot more recently just because to get the um the no rush uh delivery. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do that? Um Um no, what's your what's the benefit to you for that? Well, they usually give you one of two choices. One is um like a three pounds credit for Amazon Pantry, which I don't bother with. I'd rather mm-hmm. just have my stuff here quicker. But the other one is a one pound credit for digital. Mm. Uh, so that could be renting those Prime videos. Yeah. Or, okay. For me, Kindle books. Mm-hmm. I I know I'm going to buy Kindle books. So yeah. for me, it feels like I'm just getting a pound off everything I order. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I need I need to look at that a little more carefully. I'm pretty sure the only thing that I get offered to me is Amazon Pantry, which I don't think we can do any, like, I, I don't think we actually can do that where we live now. The main reason that I go through uh, the full checkout process is that I don't really trust the one-click settings that I have set up. Um, I, I, and part of it is just me needing to go in and kind of clean house on where, where all I've lived. Yeah, um, the addresses and everything. <laughs> Yeah, but we actually like I I regularly send stuff to my mom and dad's house when we go visit North Dakota, so their address is in there. Um, we have a, a UPS uh, box where we can receive stuff when we're gone. Um, so I mean, there's, there's probably three or four legitimate places um, our shipping addresses, and I have a bunch of credit cards on there because some things are for family stuff, some things are for work related things. So. Um, it's just I, I I've never really gotten into the one click just because mm. usually I need to do stuff like that. Um, but I, I can see how if if you have one click, you would never run the chance of running into uh, <laughs> run into, into the, the annoying thing that I've been seeing. Yeah. So uh, one of the things we wanted to uh, bring up was the whole Spectre slash meltdown fiasco. Um, and I know you know a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. I've, I I read a little bit last week and then a little bit more this week. And then because we were going to record today, I did a little bit more mm-hmm. investigating just to make sure I could actually talk some sense about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, uh, Spectre and Meltdown are two sort of major vulnerabilities that were discovered. Uh, actually discovered some time ago. It was back in June or something. Mm-hmm. But they've only just been disclosed publicly. And they're, they're really low-level vulnerabilities, so they're... they're yeah, they actually make they they actually exploit things in our CPUs. Um, so not software that us programmers have been writing, but actual things in the CPU hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, one of the more the bigger one I think is meltdown uh, in terms of right right now and what's going on. Um, and that one that's the one that actually affects uh, nearly all Intel CPUs <laughs> since nineteen ninety five or something like that. Uh, and it's crazy. Um, one interesting thing that before I get into talk about the actual vulnerability thing is, uh, in October, the CEO of Intel sold nearly half of his remaining stock, which is a bit dodgy, I think. <laughs> um, but it, Intel have said he planned to do it anyway, but um, I mean, their stock took a bit of a dive. It was virtually an all-time high in October, hmm. and obviously taken a bit of a dive since. Yeah, uh, so it seems a bit dodgy to me that he's sold, knowing full well about this vulnerability. But anyway, so my understanding of the actual vulnerability is that it's the the, right, the difference between the meltdown and the Spectre one is, I believe, the Spectre one you have to get the program you were trying to exploit to access some memory 
in which case you will be able to access that memory. But with the meltdown, you can pretty much access any memory you like anywhere mm-hmm. and that's been mapped in the system. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it does so by when the CPU is going along and doing stuff, does lots of things in parallel. Um, and it also does speculative execution, which means it actually runs instructions just in case the program branch is going to get to them so that it's ready, it has the results all ready to go. So one of those things this uh, Meltdown thing does is it tries to access uh, memory it doesn't have the privileges to access. And because of this speculative execution, part of the CPU will go to check to see if this process does have the privileges to access this memory. Another part of the CPU will go and actually access the memory and read it. Of course, and this, so there's a race condition there, which one's going to go first. Of course, when the privilege check comes back as false, the the result is discarded and other bits of memory are freed and the, the execution goes on. But what they've discovered is that um, the, bit that, the, the bit that reads that memory, regardless of the privilege check, uh, actually quite often leaves the memory in CPU cache. Hmm. And then they use these crazy timing attacks on the CPU cache to read the contents of the CPU cache. So they can literally, I mean, I don't know if you've seen that YouTube video of someone typing the password in the browser and the password just being written out in the terminal. Have you Mm. seen that? No, I haven't. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's some very clever person's written Mm -hmm. that and uh, they know what they're doing and it takes, and it's going to take a lot, I think for most people to, Mm -hmm. to actually actively exploit it for something. And I mean, Generally, I think if you are not running somebody else's code, you're pretty safe for the time being. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can't do anything without running other people's code in the in the long run, can you? So, right. So it's kind of cool. And um, the 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 problem is, or the well, I think what the biggest the fuss about it is, obviously, it's bad that the the exploit is there and the vulnerabilities there. But the the real killer is that um, when we're going to, all the patches and things that are going to actually shore this up for us, people are reporting anywhere between a 5 and 25% performance uh, degradation, CPU performance degradation, because of the extra things it has to do. So as far as I know, they're actually going to stop either the, the CPU will either stop the race condition from the privilege check and the um speculative execution or i think for the more important things uh which for specter as as well they'd have to actually clear out the cpu cache mm. for any of those branches that um that didn't that, that get discarded which i think is like a really big deal and and will slow things down a lot yeah it sounds pretty nasty and it, it's you know the fact that it goes back for chips to you know 1995 I think that's the some of the interesting things that I've seen is people talking about how long is it actually going to take them to come out with proper hardware fixes. The the speed hits that you're talking about are because people are having to patch the, the actual operating system to disallow applications to do these functions, correct? That's right. Yeah, as far as I know, yeah. The it's the so the Linux kernel team, Microsoft, um mm-hmm. Uh, Apple for macOS, uh, so they're having to patch in software. Um, I think the, some ARM processors are affected by mm-hmm. um, by meltdown. Okay. Definitely affected by Spectre, but there's only a handful of ARM processors affected by meltdown. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so pretty much all operating systems are going to have to 
have changes made to them. And yeah, these these performance problems are coming from so effectively software patches for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, I think it just depends on your workload. I saw a quote from AWS saying that they're expecting uh, the difference between negligible for most of their customers' workloads. But that means most... I saw someone from Cloudflare saying that they've tried multiple patches for their different kernels mm-hmm. and they'd seen negligible... Uh, performance uh, degradation but then yeah. I've seen other people who've seen like 20-25% and I've seen graphs um, mm-hmm. showing I, I saw one graph where they literally just put one host you, you, they had a bunch of gra- uh, plotted a bunch of servers plotted on one graph mm-hmm. and they patched one server and you could literally you could see the, just this massive jump yeah. uh, and a difference yeah. so in terms of how long before the hardware patches happen I don't know I don't I, I don't know if they can patch the hardware. They yeah, replace well, I, the hardware. Yeah, that's what I was getting at is that, you know, I, I read one Twitter thread about someone talking about why this is going to be uh, like, like two years or, you know, some something in the years range before we actually see the, the hardware patches in new versions of the CPUs that don't have this uh, uh, software requirement to be um, applied and to get the same performance that we used to see, um, mostly because of the the life cycle of, of actual hardware and chips and silicon and things like that. It's just going to take a long time. Like if they start right now with the new chips that they're currently working on that are scheduled to be, you know, they're already working on the chips that are coming out, you know, a year from now, a year and a half from now, they now need to go in, add this new change, make sure that it actually fixes the problem. Uh, just the time it takes to produce batches of CPUs. <laughs> yeah. And to go through that whole process, if they get it wrong once or twice or three times, you know, each time they do that, it pushes it out like another month or two or something. Anyway, I, I, I'll link to that thread if I can find it again, but yeah, it seems like this is going to be something that we'll be dealing with for a while. And there's all sorts of weird things that I've seen where um, it's not just the software patch, but something with PCID. I wasn't really sure what that acronym was for, but uh, something that if that's exposed, like, say, to VMs, um, if there's like a bare metal VM uh, infrastructure in place, um, if they expose that to the uh, the guest operating systems, um, that'll mean that they'll have better performance than they would if they didn't. Um, so, like, for example, Amazon uh, might be saying, yeah, we see minimal changes or whatever. But if the guest operating systems or the guest operating EC2 instances are patched but don't have access to um, this other component. There's, there's, you're going to see. That's where you're going to start seeing like the twenty percent, twenty five percent increases. Um, did you do any profiling on any of your software that you've been running or CPU? No, graphs? we haven't. We haven't done any yet. So, uh, but yeah, uh, I'm, uh, I should really get get round to checking and seeing how it goes because mm-hmm. crazy, really. Thing. I mean, to be honest, we're small enough that it doesn't really matter. You know. Mm-hmm. Even a sort of twenty five percent increase on our EC two load when we're when we're in load balances and stuff, you know, it probably that's just one more yeah. like large something large M three large mm-hmm. instance to us. It's not a big deal. It's these bigger bigger people who've really got to. Yeah, yeah we um, so with Blackfire, yeah, all those on a tighter budget, I suppose. Yeah, as well, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And that was the, that's the, the thing that I, th- I think I've seen somebody who works with Stack Overflow posting some graphs and saying this, this is going to have a huge monetary impact for people who, even if it's a 20% increase or even if it's a 5% increase in CPU utilization, like the people who are all running, already running at that threshold of, you know, yeah. if, if it goes, if they get a little more usage, suddenly things are going to start breaking because, you know, they, they, the system works fine at 80% CPU utilization. Now it's at, you know, 90 and, and things start to go haywire. Um, in our particular case with Blackfire, uh, we, we, we did the Linux patch uh, earlier this week. Um, and we saw uh, uh, basically our CPU utilization doubled. Um, on our front end web servers. So it was at 20% before uh, on average, and now it's at like 40%. Um, so, I mean, we've seen a, a huge change. I think of some, I think some people are probably going to start coming out with, you know, different use cases for what they're doing, um, having even higher utilizations than, you know, uh, than even the top end 20%. We're clearly doing, <laughs> uh, close to that top end already. Um, so I mean, there's probably some optimization that we can do, and maybe there's things that we can do to not use the things that cause those those uh, speculative branches to be done or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to start costing people. Like if, if we actually had, you know, a thousand servers and now we needed to, you know, fire up another uh, 200 of them. That's, that's, you know, if you're talking Amazon, you know, you know, medium instances or large instances, that's going to be like a chunk of change. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of shakes down over the next, uh, couple of weeks and even years, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and you, you say that kind of changes even just, you think about the people who are running on hardware, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, as in dedicated hardware, you know, they, yeah. they're, they're, they're not even anywhere near as flexible as that, you know, yeah. At least those two hundred instances you're paying month on month. Yeah, you know, when you're running close to capacity on on hardware that you've bought and you're hosting mm-hmm. co-locating somewhere, you've probably been watching and monitoring your ga- graphs and and charts, and you you you've probably got a plan to say you know in Q three twenty eighteen we're going to need to start adding hardware, mm-hmm. and you can start put, making preparations now. Now you might be landed with the choice of do we leave things unpatched. Or do we rush this through now? Do mm-hmm. we, you know, n- maybe make decisions that aren't as well informed as we'd like because we're having to do this quickly? We're having to do it on a budget because we can't, we can't, you know, we've only got this cash now. We haven't got the cash we hoped to have when we we're buying this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a big mess for a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, even with even with like uh, Amazon, uh, with like the reserved in- instances where people probably pre-budgeted for a whole year of computing resources requirements now they're gonna to have to reevaluate that and you know what they have right now that they've already agreed to pay on contract this number of medium instances and now they need them all to be large <laughs> they, you know that's gonna have a real impact on them even if they are in a more flexible situation um, I mean they're still gonna be able to do it probably more easily than having to you know add 20% more hardware overnight um, but yeah it's gonna have wide-ranging impact on a lot of stuff yeah. So, um, well, one of the other things that I've seen related to this was people talking about uh, all the uh, 
uh, JavaScript hacks where people are actually mining Bitcoin for other people without realizing it. And now it's going to, they're going to be making less Bitcoin because people aren't going to be spending as much time on those pages that aren't loading. Um, but that's, that's something that's actually seems to have just like kind of been on a rocket ship since we last talked about it is the whole crypto thing. It seems like more coins are coming out, more ICOs, Bitcoins had like astronomical prices i think i think it's going down this week <laughs> quite a bit um i haven't really followed it too much but it reminded me that you'd been doing some or experimenting with a bitcoin or well uh cryptocurrency trading a little bot that you were doing yeah that's right yeah i actually um i had quite a lot of fun with it but but gave up in the end just because i didn't i didn't really feel like i had the the time to really spend time <laughs> mm-hmm. trying to work out um what was going on uh, and I, I, thinking about it now, I mean, so I held my Bitcoin for a little while then until um, until the Bitcoin cash fork. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not familiar with that, they forked Bitcoin for SegWit2 or something. Okay, I did, at the time, I did know all the technical information and I've actually forgotten it all. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I kept it until then um, because wh- whatever you held in Bitcoin, you would then hold in Bitcoin cash. Mm-hmm. So I and then I got my Bitcoin cash and sold that as soon as I could because uh, I didn't really believe in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still going now though. Uh, I guess people, there's always as long as there's a, as long as there's believers in a cryptocurrency at the minute, it keeps on trading, right? Um, and yeah, and then to be honest, I think I think I got a bit bored. Um, <laughs> you know, like I I was like looking at watching the markets and and I don't really know enough about markets in the first place. Um, you know, people talk about things being bullish or whatever the other one is and all those kinds of things. And I, I, I still don't know enough about any kind of trading to understand those terms. Uh, so without knowing too much about it and being able to act on things, I got a bit bored, really. Mm. So I took all my Bitcoin out and it seems evidently I got interested in it too early because... Um, oh, sorry, not too early. I was, I was, I was in the middle somewhere in the most boring part of Bitcoin. If I'd got in really early, I'd obviously be absolutely swimming in money. Yeah. But even if I'd just started my little Bitcoin adventure when I finished it, I'd have seen at least doubling my money, tripling my money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, no regrets. I mean, I was, I was only playing anyway and I only had small amounts in there, but yeah, it's crazy to see how it's gone since. Um, and I've only really just sort of kept an eye on it rather than actually done anything with it. Um, have you, I mean, I think you mentioned that you bought some at some point. When when did you buy in? Yes, I, I, I didn't even buy a lot. Um, wow. Okay. So on May 22nd, um, I basically bought $25 worth of Bitcoin. Okay. Um, and it, like, seriously, this was my, my very first thing I wanted to do. It looks like it's 0.0114 Bitcoin. Um, <clears throat> so I did that on May 22nd. And that uh, with the Coinbase... Um, fee. It looked like I actually spent twenty six forty nine on Bitcoin, and yeah. right now, um, my twenty five dollars is worth one hundred and sixty five dollars. Yeah. So about that time was probably when I left and mm. took my Bitcoin out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, th- I think I probably had six to seven hundred pounds worth of Bitcoin at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would have been worth, you know, decent amount of money now. Uh, yeah. Well, so so I just I just okay. There's there's two things I want to talk about. One, I just logged into Coinbase just to kind of get a general idea of what it says the market is, and it looks like back on the seventeenth of 
December is when it peaked at 19,762 US dollars. Um, and as of right now, uh, today it's down to 14,450. So, um, it's, it's fallen considerably, um, in that amount of time. So of course this is all speculative and whatever, but it's still higher than it was almost a year ago. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been kind of f- fun watching it, but also I don't feel like I understand it any more than I did before. <laughs> um, quick aside, uh, logging into Coinbase, uh, made me remind, re- made me remember that, uh, since we, uh, talked, I got a YubiKey, um, to do, oh, yeah. to try and do some more, uh, security related things with multi-factor authentication and whatnot. It's been a nightmare. Um, so <laughs> I have Authy. Uh, I finally decided to, to log into Authy because something happened with my Google Authenticator multiple times where I had to redo everything. <clears throat> so all at once, I signed up both Google Authenticator and Authy on multiple devices for probably seven or eight of my services. Somehow, my Coinbase connection, which worked across the board before, doesn't work any longer for Coinbase. Um, Authenticator, Google Authenticator, comes up with different numbers than Authy does. And I just don't know why. It's such a pain in the ass. (laughs) Sorry, ass. I I said it again. Uh, It's just a (laughs) huge pain. Um, I don't know why. This stuff seems like it should be like doable, easy, whatever. Not as many things use YubiKey as I'd hoped. Um, My phone doesn't because... You know, Apple's Apple, and apparently they don't support that very well. So, yeah, anyway, I literally real time, I just tried to do this and had to open up three apps. And it wasn't until I did the fourth one on my iPad that I finally got a <laughs> code that was generating what I needed. Are you doing anything like that with 2FA or ju- anything? I just use Authy uh, yeah. exclusively. I did, I was on Google Authenticator. Um, but yeah, but it, it came down to, I, I think I had one or two things on Authy mm-hmm. and the rest were Google Authenticator. But then when uh, I was getting a new phone, mm-hmm. I was like, enough is enough. Um, I've still got my old handset now, so I'm going to log into all my services, reset them up with Authy so that when I move to the new phone, mm-hmm. everything just switches over and yeah. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what's up with it. Cause I don't, I'm not, I don't want to go like it probably took four hours <laughs> to go through these services with multiple devices and set them up and, oh, it's just a pain. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it is a pain, isn't it? Um, yeah. I saw an interesting tweet by somebody the other day. Huh? They were wanting to spend less time on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So they got their, I don't know if they can hit a setting or if they actually started just hitting the logout button. Mm. And, and because they had 2FA installed or enabled, it deteriorated, it did, deterred them from going back on because it would have meant not just logging in with the username and password, which mm-hmm. their browser extension of whatever type filled mm-hmm. in for them, but they'd also then have to go through the 2FA. Yeah. And it was just too much effort just to read a few tweets. So Yeah. Well, one of the main reasons that I decided to go down this route and... It's just, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is for me not doing the research up front was because of Twitter. And, you know, I started to see people talking more and more about how SMS is not a good way to handle 2FA because it's really easy to hack. It's really easy to uh, spoof people. Um, So I was thinking that I should probably 
not use 2FA with my SMS for Twitter. Um, so I went through this whole process. I signed up, you know, I got a YubiKey. I started playing with Authy a little bit and looking at things. And I went to Twitter, found out that Twitter doesn't support anything but SMS. <laughs> and um, so I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> what, what am I supposed to like? I don't know if, if it's scary when you look at like how many places I'm using Twitter as and I think as an authentication source, and if SMS really is a weak link, like having SMS enabled is actually less secure than having a really strong password in that case. But I think I looked and I wasn't even able to turn it off for Twitter, or at least one of the services that I found out I could only have SMS as my other source right. um, didn't even allow me to disable SMS for 2FA. And I'm like, well, that's great. <laughs> anyway, it's it, it, it was a fun time looking at all those things. And now that it's all set up, I don't have to think about it, except now I've noticed that some of my authenticators are drifting and some of them work, some of them don't. I don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's no good. Yeah. I, mean, I must admit, I, I've not had any problems recently with Authy or mm-hmm. with any of the services I use. I've got, I've just looked in Authy now and I've, um, I've got 12 in there. Hmm. Although, I mean, a few of them are sort of uh, the same service, but different accounts. Uh, like I've got one, two, three Amazon ones there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so one of the one of the problems that I see is that when I go into Authy for Coinbase, it's actually Authy thinks that Coinbase is an Authy service. Um, Coinbase and- is an Authy service, isn't it? Yeah. And the, the, the problem is that it's generating, uh, let's see, they, they generate different size tokens. Um, yeah. mine so, does. I can see mine now. It's, uh, seven, seven digits. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my seven digits for Coinbase don't work, but the, uh, let's see here. My, uh, Google Authenticator is generating the six digits for just normal, uh, whatever, whatever the right, okay. OTP or whatever. So. I don't know. So somehow my Coinbase account reverted from Coinbase or from Authy to the other style. It's, yeah. I just don't understand how that happens, why it happened. I don't remember doing anything. It just stopped working one day. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, when technology falls apart, right? All the time. <laughs> All right. Well, um, it looks like we're about getting near our time limit. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we call this one done? No, I mean, I think uh, you had a few things on your list, but like you say, we're at the time limit, so we're probably better to call it quits. Cool. All right. Well, it was great catching uh, catching up with you again. Um, super excited about season three. Super excited about 2018. Do you have any like resolutions that you want to talk about? I don't necessarily have any, but I know we um, talked... No, I don't have any resolutions. I've 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 set a few goals. Mm-hmm. Um and so this year to make to to actually break uh sort of the, the previous years, I'm not gonna talk about how much weight I want to lose. <laughs> I'm just gonna talk about getting fitter. Yeah. So I've set a goal to do um a hundred press ups, mm-hmm. ten chin ups, because at the minute I can do one chin up and that's mm-hmm. it. It's one more and, than I can do. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, I've always struggled with chins. I've never mm-hmm. been very good at them. Yeah. Um, and to do a, a 10K run if I can at the end huh? of the year. That's the biggest one for me because I don't enjoy it. I hate mm. hate running. Um, mm. So, yeah, yeah, that's a big challenge for me, but we'll just have to see. That's um, cool. Yeah. yeah so uh, on our family side, we um, 
uh, we we always joke about uh, it starts tomorrow um, as sort of like whatever it is our goal is today we we messed up so it starts tomorrow and so tomorrow basically it always starts tomorrow uh, but we've I've we've been actively trying to fight that and I've also talked or seen people talking about resolutions not being healthy because it kind of gives you license to do whatever negative thing or not do whatever positive thing until a certain time. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I, I've been actively focusing on health things over the last probably two months. Uh, so I didn't really start for January. I, I didn't shoot for like January and I don't really have like specific goals that I would consider resolutions. Uh, but I like, I like what you're saying about uh, just trying to be more healthy um, as yeah. opposed to, I would need to lose this much weight. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think that's probably probably yeah. a good thing to do. Well, yeah, um, losing weight would be one means to the ends. You know, if, yeah, I, yeah. if I lose weight, it'll be easier to do chin-ups, easier to do press-ups, easier yep. to run long distances. Uh, yeah. But in the same way you said, I mean, um, one of the reasons why I think a lot of people do it in January is because we do go to a little bit of excess over holiday periods, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca and I both doing a dry January as well. So no alcohol throughout January. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started a few days before the new year, just because Christmas was over and done with. Uh, and then we had a, we went to a new year's Eve party. So we did have food and drink then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then other than that, we just, you know, like I say, we're just trying to be yeah. sensible about everything. Uh, cool. And we're not doing any particular diet plan or anything like that. We're just being, Mm-hmm. sensible um, same with the exercise regime that I've been doing I've actually enjoyed just making choices like I am going to work out today and when the time comes I'm going to decide what I want to do mm-hmm. how much I want to do uh, then I, I don't set myself up for failure um, you know by saying right I'm going to go on a, if I planned out at the beginning of the week on Wednesday I'm going to go for a three mile run yeah and it gets to Wednesday and I just really don't feel like it then mm-hmm. I failed uh, so at the minute, just to get the ball rolling, I'm doing Wednesday. I need to do some exercise, whether that's running, cycling, yeah, walking, whatever. I'm just cool. doing something. So yeah, cool. Um, the only other thing that that I know we sometimes talk about are like conference things. Um, I've I, the only conference that I have. I have two actually. One in um, uh, London, PHP UK conference. Um, that, that I get to go to that, and we're actually bringing the family. Um, I kind of thought it would be awesome if we could do like a on-site recording thing. Uh, like we've done that a few times in London and Manchester, but it doesn't sound like uh, we're going to be able to meet up with you there. Um, no, then, I, I dropped I dropped the ball on that one. I apologize. Uh, um, it's it's all good. And then uh, Midwest PHP in Minneapolis later this year. So um, I just wanted to get uh, something out there for the listeners. Uh, for anybody, like you know, it's not everybody gets to go to conferences and things like that. But if anybody, uh, any of our listeners are planning on attending either uh, PHP UK conference or uh, Midwest PHP in Minneapolis in 2018, uh, let us know. Um, and we'll see if we can meet and maybe we could have some sort of that podcast related get together or something so people can just uh, hang out, talk to me. Um, you know, if, if we're together in some other ones later in the year, we can do that too. You and I, we could like either do a live recording or something. Um, but yeah, so if anyone wants to uh, drop us a line on Twitter or respond to our mailing list email, uh, letting us know where you're, where you're going to be or if there's a chance that we can actually meet up with some of our listeners uh, in 2018, that would be awesome. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else, I think we can be done here. Yep. I'm good. Thank you. Cool. All right. Follow the wrap.
You've been listening to That Podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com, spelled G-R-I-L-L-O. 